0: Hello and welcome to the Therapy Works podcast, the podcast that confronts some of life's biggest challenges. I'm your host, Julia Samuel, a mother of four, a best selling author, and as a psychotherapist, hosting this podcast is a natural fit. Every week, I will invite you into my therapy room where I shall be joined by a well known voice or an unknown voice and they will open up about a particular struggle they have faced or are still facing at the end of each episode i will be joined by my two yes two psychotherapist daughters who will reveal their thoughts and broader insights about my therapy session it really is three therapists for the price of one it's definitely worth a listen I am delighted to be joined by Kate Ferdinand on our podcast. Kate is 31. She was a TOWIE star and a business sports manager. She wrote a brilliant book called Fitter, Happier, Healthier. She's the host of the very successful Blended podcast. She is also married to Rio Ferdinand, has three stepchildren, and we'll talk about that word step. Lorenz Tate and Tia and she's the mother of her son Cree so welcome Kate and thank you for joining me and actually can I be a bit therapist and ask you what your childhood was like Like, right and how is your childhood sort of informing your parenting now when you have all these children
1: thank you so much for having me by the way oh I'm a bit nervous is this a real therapy session Julia yeah. Oh, okay. Um, well, I think my childhood has shaped me so much. Um, I'm an only child. I grew up with living with my mum. My mum and dad broke up when I was around three-ish. Um, and my relationship with my dad, I, to be honest with you, it's a real big blur. A lot of my childhood... Um, I couldn't tell you certain things I just don't I just don't remember I think I've blocked some of it out so I did see my dad for a period of time and then it became rocky you know there was lots of problems with the cults my mum and my dad and I didn't then see my dad for certain periods and I ended up you know having those daddy issues I think like I mm. felt like at the time maybe he didn't love me and you know I really felt his absence and my relationship with my mum when I became a teenager was very turbulent to say the least. And yeah, I often felt, I I don't think it was true. I think I was very loved, but I often didn't feel loved and I felt quite alone. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. I mean,
0: first of all, I have a problem with saying only child as if only isn't enough. (laughs) Yeah. You know, just being one child. And You know, what we know from the research and actually what you're describing from your experience is it isn't when parents get divorced that children suffer, but it's when they have conflict in their divorce that children suffer. And that when they don't find a way of sharing the parenting, coming to terms with the separation, but also communicating so that you, their daughter, feels loved and secure and connected. And it sounds like your father kind of disappearing and your mum and dad being in litigation, you felt like you kind of got lost in the battle in some way.
1: Yeah. And I think I went a bit off. Well, I don't think. I know. (laughs) I went a bit off the rails and I was a bit of like a crazy teenager, probably doing all the things you would hate your kids to do.
0: What did you do, Kate? Tell me. Uh,
1: Well, I used to run away from home. I'd stay out all night. I'd do all-nighters. I'd I don't know, you name it, Julia. <laughs> um, and I mean, my kids hear this, I'm going to be fuming because they absolutely can't be doing that. I was going to say, Lorenz is a teenager. So are they doing the things that you did? Absolutely not. But And we do talk about this sometimes at home and they say, Kate, you had crazy childhood. But I think it is very different. They're surrounded by it, even though they've lost their mum and that's a huge loss for them. They're surrounded by a lot of love and they feel loved. And they feel supported. And I think, although I did have love around me, I just felt very alone. I don't I don't know what I was searching for, but I think maybe I was just trying to get away from it all.
0: I mean, I think if you felt alone, you probably didn't feel loved. And so you were distracting yourself from the pain of that, I would guess. And it feels like from, you know, when you and I have talked before and here, that with Rio and joining his family you have found a way of belonging and being loved in a way that you never have
1: before 100% i feel like i always kind of longed for that family setup and i've got it but although i feel loved and and i love my family i've also kind of fallen into being a stepmom where i also sometimes feel that it's not my family yeah although i know it is i have this kind of like you know demon on my shoulder every now and then I still feel like it's not my family because I'm not their mum. Yeah. So
0: if you're thinking about what is your greatest challenge that you're facing you've had to overcome, is it that? Is it finding a way of legitimising yourself as a mum to these three children who aren't biologically yours and that you can kind of feel... I don't know if this is the right word, the sort of ghost of Rebecca delegitimizing you, telling you you're not a mum, that you're a fake or you're not good
1: enough. Yeah, I think that would be one of the things. But I think that there's, there's probably a few, actually. It's my own insecurities, I think, that make me feel like that. I don't think it's often anyone else. It's me. I know my children love me. I know they see me as part of the family. Um, we've, we are family. But just every now and then, you know, certain times, certain events make me feel a certain way. Um, And obviously they were formed as a family before I arrived. So with the addition of Cree, my biological son now, I do feel a bit more secure because we all started the journey of Cree together, if that makes sense. Whereas they had their own journey before me and often at times I kind of feel a little bit left out. I mean, I try and know as much as possible, but I do. But I also think another struggle would be just learning to carry on. I think as a child, I was quite misunderstood. Obviously, I did go off the rails and I was a bit crazy. And I often felt misunderstood even up until being on TOWIE and I was on a reality show and, you know, it only shows a certain side of me. I was going through a breakup and I always felt very misunderstood. So, um Maybe just learning to love and accept myself for who I am and not for what other people think of me or their judgments. I mean, that shows
0: real kind of insight, doesn't it? Because what I've understood is that your early experience of feeling kind of alone and left out does get played out even in this family where you're not alone, where you feel very loved. So it pushes those old buttons what we in the therapy world call the ghost from the nursery. And obviously the opposite of being alone is being known. And it, one of the definitions of being loved is being known as you are. So going on TOWI, which is the, I mean, reality show is the is the reverse of what it is, right? It's like a complete unreality show. And but that also pushed those buttons didn't it that you people projecting onto you all sorts of things about how you looked or what was shown what was edited out of what was going on um for the program so that would have turned the volume up of feeling you you as you know yourself don't exist but it does feel like as you're talking to me and, and you've talked on your fantastic podcast blended that I do want to know more about that you were discovering these sort of true versions of yourself as you were letting people see these truer versions of yourself.
1: Yeah, because I feel like I've always had to kind of, I'm fighting against this force of like what people think I am versus what I really am. And it gets to the point where you have to just give up because it doesn't really matter what they think. But saying that, um, I, I, I also feel better about that, I think, because of Blended before, you know, I'm on social media and I don't think it's always a true reflection of who I am. Um, A lot of my life is my children. I don't share them for, like, privacy reasons. And I don't feel like I get to be the real me. And the situation that I come into with Rio and obviously being a stepmom to three children that have lost their mum, you can't really just talk about that every day on social media. Like, you can't, it's not fair on the children. So I kind of felt stuck, like I was battling something and going through it but I was scared to share it and scared to speak about it. And then when that was happening, I obviously didn't meet anyone in a similar situation and I was struggling, but I couldn't show that through like my socials or anything, you know, that I was doing. So creating Blended, I felt, I think, has made me feel much more relaxed, like I'm getting to be me and I'm talking and meeting people that, yeah, and having real conversations.
0: It's incredibly powerful, isn't it? Like what I'm hoping to do with this podcast is that you know social media is an incredible force for good in lots of ways where you know we can tell the world about all sorts of subjects that we wouldn't connect to unless it was for social media. But this the idea of authenticity that how you feel and see yourself on the inside is how you show on the outside is virtually impossible in social media because it is kind of curated. So there's a whole kind of bit of you that gets missed out. But also, in that being missed out from people connecting to you, you sort of feel lost and very alone again, so it sounds like through the podcast, you are recognizing the feelings that you have, and it's like with grief that they're legitimate feelings, and that what you're feeling is normal, although you feel like you're going mad.
1: yeah, and I think social media it's it's great for so many things, but it is oh it's a hard place sometimes, and for me. I felt like I'd upload a photo of what I'm wearing. I don't even really care what I'm wearing, but I don't. I feel like I can't really be me on it. So then I'm playing into my own feelings of, oh, well, I'm not being myself. It's not, I don't know. And it becomes this vicious kind of cycle. So blended kind of sets me free from that a little bit.
0: So what do you think, given the experience that you've had with Rio and the children and having your own child, what do you think it was about that experience that was particularly challenging for you?
1: No, I'm saying it sounds terrible. There's so many amazing parts. Like, let's start with amazing because that makes me feel better. Okay, yeah. The, the children really did teach me a just look at Lorenz, Tate, and Tia, my stepchildren, a completely different love because I've never experienced a, loving a child before, and they just taught me love and and being together and having that family time, because like, I haven't got siblings and, you know, my family was a rocky road at certain times. That was, like, amazing. Like, I was so grateful for that um, and so, I feel so lucky to have that. Um, but there was hard times. I mean, if I just start from the beginning, just the simple thing, like coming into a home that wasn't yours and that another woman had lived in and her belongings were still there and having to try and do what's best for the children because that's the priority... But just manage your own feelings, and you know it's coming into another, another space like my home. I had my a, a small flat; uh, it was all homey, and it was just exactly how I liked it. And I kind of felt safe there. It was like my safe place. To so then being in this big house, which is amazing, but not really feeling safe anywhere in the house because I haven't got my little zone. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: or somehow it felt like you're an intruder. On Rebecca's house and Rebecca had died but somehow she hadn't died she was still very very present and the tension between allowing them to continue their relationship with their mum although she's died which is one of the complexities people don't understand about grief is that it's not about forgetting someone and moving on it's about connecting and remembering them but also finding a place for yourself so that you can allow both them to love Rebecca and to allow and grow a relationship with you. But also there's this tussle, isn't there? Because I imagine part of the children, and maybe they felt this and maybe they didn't, I don't know, that they would somehow feel like they were being unfaithful to their mum if they loved you. I mean, I find that a lot with clients when a parent has died and I'm working with The family where there's a new step parent, often they kind of say, "You know, I want Dad to be happy, but I hate that her clothes are in Mum's cupboard, and you know she's standing in Mum's kitchen, and Mum should be there."
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. I think coming in, I was really conscious of that. Like, first of all, what, what, where is my place? I'm not their mum. Their mum is here, and I've always really want to keep that relationship going, and them to know that they can speak about their mum that is really important for both Rio and I but what am I doing and who am I and so how can I make
0: space to have my space alongside Rebecca how do I accommodate
1: that yeah and that is was really really difficult at the beginning I didn't really know my place and um, the children did feel guilty and yeah it was hard I mean it was new for all of us but it's weird now because I feel in such a don't get me wrong, there's hard days, but I feel in such a good place. I know my role now. I know my role, and we're all comfortable with our family setup. And it's weird because I feel like I have my own kind of relationship with Rebecca. That's
0: so interesting. With this woman you've never
1: met. Yeah, it's very, very bizarre. Like, if I say it out loud, it is quite strange, or maybe explain it to someone that isn't in this kind of setup. I mean, I love her children. Well, I see them as my children, but she's their mum. I feel like they're both our children. Yes. She's started their journey with them, and I feel like I'm finishing it with them um, for her. So, I mean, it's it's like a kind of... Before I... Maybe when I first met them, I felt maybe a bit threatened. I was compared quite a lot, and I don't like the comparison because I feel like we're two separate people, and we could both be great on our own, singly. Comparison in
0: all areas is a direct route to misery, isn't it? Other people comparing yeah. you, you comparing yourself, comparing on social media and certainly in the intimacy of family relationships, comparing each other is is destructive.
1: Yeah, it's the route to unhappiness, I would say. And, and there was a lot of that at the beginning. I was compared in all aspects, whereas now, even if I am compared, I feel stronger in myself and I know that, I'm doing what's right for the kids. And I think of, if I was to leave this earth now, would I be happy looking down if someone was like me, doing their best and loving my children? I would, and I feel like comfort from that.
0: Completely. And, you know, I'm working with someone now whose partner is dying. And one of the conversations they've been having is, if you have another partner and what, in this case, it's a dad, would he write a letter to a future partner? and? It feels like you kind of feel that you and Rebecca are writing each other letters in a way.
1: Yes. Oh, my God. It's exactly that. It's, it's, it, is, it is strange, but yeah, I feel like she's, well, she's a part of our family. We're all we're all one in a weird sense. And so
0: before it must have been like you're, you felt she was saying, like, get out of my kitchen. And now she's saying, thank you for feeding my children.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was, yeah, I don't know if it was necessarily her before that was saying, get out of my kitchen. I think it was just the pressure of, the family accepting me and also the public, like all the articles, comparisons on like websites. And also I was a young girl from a reality show. You know, (laughs) it didn't look great, but it was, you know, it it always was great. And Rue and I knew that and we knew it, we could make it work. But I think it took a while for people to see that.
0: Yeah. And you to trust yourself and the sort of loyalty binds of sort of being pulled and pushed it sounds like when you allowed yourself each one of you to really feel the love that you have for each other you could see that we can have multiple loves all at the same time they could love their mum miss their mum think and talk about their mum and love you have fun with you hate you <laughs> be cross with you because for, you forgot their gym kit and that you can you know that there's there's enough there isn't a single cake there's enough love for everybody. And then that is what enables the family to kind of function within the distress and the loss of Rebecca.
1: Yeah, like I always think people think, well, they can't love two of you. But we can love more than one child. We can love so many people. So of course, children can. But I mean, I think sometimes it's other people's judgments on children as well.
0: Well, I think we're very simplistic, aren't we? And we put people in boxes like Rio can love Rebecca and you you can have loved people before Rio and one doesn't knock the other out.
1: Yeah, 100%. What what has helped you, do you think? Talking, I'd say, Um, going for walks. Um, I'm a great believer in communication. So I think the more it bottles up and the more you keep it in, the more you kind of explode. So just talking and speaking to people in similar situations being open with the children about all of our emotions, where we can and how we feel. And the more open you are, the more you can understand where people are at and where the kids are at and, you know, what little things might trigger them and what little things might trigger me and just understanding each other more. It feels like you're doing the opposite of
0: what you experienced. Like, so there wasn't much communication. So you felt quite alone and not known and didn't know what was going on. And that you're using that as a kind of engine, I did, not against your parents, because obviously you, you know that they loved you in the best way they could, given who they were and what they knew. And actually, we understand a great deal more now. But that you re- kind of recognise that communication in a family is the key I don't know if the tool is the right word. It is the key that allows the family to weather the bad weather and also come together and that you can have open, honest conversations, which mean very difficult sometimes conversations, and that you can have this idea of rupture and repair, that like perfect families, and I know you've talked about wanting to be perfect before, Mm -hmm. don't exist, but that you you could have a family where you can have a big fight, but as long as you can repair after the fight, and that you can allow the fight, you can allow the difference of opinion, you can allow the angry emotions that those families feel safe and uh, loved and can trust.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think they say you either parent in the way your parents did or kind of go away from it. That's exactly it. I probably think my mum wasn't aware all the time of how I was feeling and I, I wouldn't really now... Because of that, especially, I would never want my children to feel like that. I always want them to feel heard and understood. And if they don't agree with me, then it's fine because that's what happens. But it's not the end of the world. And we can still have different opinions and think differently, but love each other and be together kind of thing. Yeah. And also I think you're going to have differences of opinions and conflicts and all through life. So I just think it's important that you know, we teach our children that in the home first and they understand so that it, they can carry it with them through their life.
0: This episode is sponsored by Better Help. Navigating any of life's challenges can make you feel uneasy, whether it's a career change, loss of a loved one, or a new relationship. Our emotions can certainly leave us feeling overwhelmed. As a psychotherapist, I'm all about finding solutions but it can certainly be tough to work them out on your own. Therapists are trained to help you get to the root of your emotions and can help you build productive coping mechanisms. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's not only affordable, but can be done in the comfort of your own home. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash therapyworks. That's betterhelp B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash therapyworks. So are you dropping the perfection thing a bit? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Listen, Julia, I do try. I try. to. I'm I'm a work in progress. Um, I'm trying to drop it. I'm much better. I know I can't do everything and I know everything can't be perfect. Whereas before, I, I thought I could do everything and I thought it all could be perfect. So I'm feeling and doing much better, but I still think I've got a little way to go. Yeah, I think that's all down to maybe it not being perfect when I was a kid and trying to like, also the children have lost their mum and I know that I can never take that away and bring her back, but just trying to make everything that they've got now the best it possibly could be. But also that leaves sorry, that leaves me open to then not being able to do it and then feeling like I've let myself down.
0: I mean, like, it makes sense. What perfection, doesn't it? That if you've suffered and you've had no control, the kind of it forms a belief system. Like, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to have control this time. I'm going to fix this because we're sort of human beings. I think we have an instinct to want to kind of fix what went wrong. But also that sets up quite a kind of negative cycle because then you set yourself a task that isn't achievable. And then you kind of have that awful shitty committee of like, you you know, maybe with cooking, you want to do this perfect roast chicken and you burnt it. <laughs> and, and then it's like oh my god I'm a useless cook rather than like I burnt the chicken you don't make it specific and the the idea the sort of Donald Winnicott the great um, psychologist of the 50s is being a good enough mum being good enough is really a lot
1: yeah I'm working on that like the, how you just explain the chicken is literally how I think <laughs> if I burn the chicken which happens sometimes I think oh my god I'm useless oh, Why? Like I just go into self-destruct rather than thinking that it's just a burnt chicken.
0: So, But now do you have the awareness that you go into self-destruct and then you can pull yourself back from self-destruct?
1: Yeah, like I feel like I'm very self-aware. So although I'm sometimes doing that, I'm aware that I'm doing it and then I will stop. But I haven't got to the point yet where I don't do it.
0: But I think the more you stop, then we're habit-forming beings, then you're more likely to stop because you'll kind of do it quicker. You know, like my husband and I, we've been married like 42 years and we fight, but now because we know what we fight about, we only have about three, we have three things that we fight about probably. And now we kind of fast track it, you know, (laughs) rather than the fight going on for hours. We're like, okay, it's that tick, that's that tick. And you kind of get through it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's funny.
0: What do you think has helped you navigate all of this? Rio, the public persona? developing your own work and your own identity, being a mum in every kind of domain. What are the things that you've called on that have helped you? Or well, the people?
1: Um, Rio. So I feel like since I've been with Rio, my, I've really calmed down. I used to be quite erratic before. Um, and he's just, well, I think it's love, isn't it? He loves me for who I am. God, I'm a little bit emotional. Aww. He loves me for who I am. So I get to thrive then, I suppose, as myself, don't I? Yeah. And it's no longer, bloody hell, why am I crying? Oh, um, it's so moving. It's no longer like having to, you know, keep up with who everyone wants me to be because I feel loved because maybe at certain times I didn't feel like that before. Yeah.
0: Sorry. And that love is so curative that you Yeah, it's amazing. That he loves you for all of you. Not for a particular part of you or your fabulous boobs, which they are, <laughs> or your <laughs> thank you, <Julia. laughs> or, or any of the things that people might kind of see, but for all of you, and then you feel fully loved, and maybe that's the first time you've ever felt fully loved and felt safe being
1: who you are. I think so, and I think also, um, I feel like I'm much more than what I look like, and often in my life. People take me on just what I look like rather than who I am. I feel like that's been like that for a lot of my life. So, yeah, I think it's the comfort of being loved fully and feeling loved. And that's given you confidence, doesn't it? Mm. Being fully loved
0: and then people judging you from the outside. That's such a, a 21st century dynamic, but also kind of crazy making, isn't it? sort of people feeling they know you and not knowing you and you knowing yourself and then getting influenced by how they see you and but it sounds like Rio just knew you
1: yeah he did and also I'm at comfort with that now because maybe before when I wasn't happy in myself and you know having more issues those comments and people's opinions really affected me whereas now I feel I've got Rio and the children, and I'm loved, and we're in a good place and I feel good about myself that the opinions don't get to me as much because we're secure, yeah, whereas in those early days, when you know I was finding my feet as a stepmom and we were all just becoming a new family, and we didn't really know what we we're doing, and it bits were going wrong, those opinions got to me because we didn't quite have it sorted, and we didn't know if it was gonna work, whereas now I feel that I can ignore a lot of that
0: I mean that's so powerful and wonderful to hear and part of you recognizing that you've changed because you've been loved is recognizing that you in giving love to Rio that he receives it you give it your love to the children they receive it that you feel of worth because of the love that you give it's not just one way
1: yeah Oh, gosh, it's it's all very emotional, Julie. You've got me crying, you've got me in my feelings. I don't know what to say. I guess one of the kind of big
0: things that you're showing me is how we change, how we change over time, and that when we allow difficult things to influence us, pain is the agent of change. It's like you said, it was so difficult when you first went into the house, but now you feel really secure. You didn't shut down and back out. You kind of went through the weather of it and have allowed the circumstances to change you and then you to change and influence your whole family.
1: Yeah, I mean, there is that saying, I don't know, nothing good comes easy. And I do feel like it wouldn't feel this great and this good if it come this easy and it was hard. But when I look back at my life and my journey so far, a lot of the really difficult things I've been through have shaped me into who I am now, and I'm grateful for those experiences. I feel it's made me wiser, it's opened my heart more, it's opened everything more. I mean, I I do think I am a completely different person. If you just rewind even, like, five years before I met Rio, I, I, I just feel worlds apart. But I think I've gone through so much in such a short period that... Yeah, I've changed, but for the better.
0: What have you learned, do you think, from all this change and roller coaster you've been in?
1: To be myself, I suppose. Uh, to not listen to what other people think. Don't let that change who you are or influence you too much because if you've got a good heart and you're doing things the right way, people may not see it, but that doesn't matter because as long as you and the people closest to you that know you know, That's all that matters. Um, Love is so powerful. Oh, my gosh. Like, it's healing, isn't it, for everyone? And just, I I suppose I feel like I know myself more now as well. I feel like I've been on an internal journey. Like, I'm I'm not at the end of the road. I'm still a work in progress. But, yeah, it's kind of just, it's been a real big journey.
0: And that you have been transformed by daring to love. It's a risky business. And letting yourself be loved. And that from it, you've learnt who you are. In a way, it sounds like you didn't fully know who you are and you kind of do now. So in knowing who you are, you're much more robust. You're much kind of sturdier. You can't be blown by other people's comments so much or you're less frightened. You feel, you look much less anxious than the last time I saw you.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, I mean, don't get wrong. I am anxious sometimes and like that's not fully gone because I've always been quite anxious. But I feel like I've kind of, I think got a bit more of the tools to know what to do when I'm feeling like that rather than just letting the storm just like blow me over kind of thing like i've I've learned more about what I need and myself
0: I mean that is the key, isn't it? It's not that we're not gonna have these feelings. you know, I always think with therapy, you can't go back and fix the wounds that happen to you or how they play out in you, but the therapy gives the awareness of how you can support yourself, given that it's happened to you. So what do you use if you have a bout of anxiousness? What do you do?
1: I mean, I don't do anything spectacular. I just maybe, you'll know this, you know, I'm very bad at texting back on my phone. Um, I just leave my phone. My phone makes me anxious. Good. I feel like, I was speaking about this earlier, but people message you instantly and they expect an instant response. And the more that stacks up, that makes me anxious. So I leave my phone I take some time out. I think I quite enjoy having a long shower. I know that's weird, but just being there and having a shower. And walking for me is like major. I love getting fresh air, walking, and just, just being with nothing else going on kind of thing.
0: Walking is such good therapy. I mean, you're completely right. You've got such good instincts, Kate, that walking is amazingly therapeutic. Being outside, being in the air, moving your body shifting your body while you're kind of processing something, the the movement shifts your thoughts and you'll go out feeling kind of tight and anxious, but also the movement reduces the cortisol so that you feel better. And by being in nature, you generally feel better.
1: It's funny because Um, I've always loved walking and we have some, I spoke to you about this, some of the deepest chats with the kids when we're walking but I never really put the two and two together until I spoke to you and you said, yeah, that's when it happens and even now, you know, With the kids, if they've got something to say, it always seems to come out on a walk because you're just relaxed.
0: And you're not eyeballing each other and you can have silence. You know, Lawrence could not speak at all on one family walk and speak a lot another time, so there's no pressure. So people feel able to kind of really open up. Yeah. And being outside frees you, doesn't it? Mm. So I wondered, Kate, if, you know, I, I know that you've had a miscarriage and I often miscarriages are very hidden and unvoiced but one in four pregnancies ends in miscarriage so I wondered if you could speak about your experience of it because all of us experience it very differently
1: yeah um I kind of had a feeling that it might happen but I'm a bit of a um a, I'm, well I'm a massive worrier not a bit of a worrier and I do worry about lots of things on a daily basis uh, I overthink everything I couldn't differentiate from if I was overthinking or if it was actually happening but I did some of my symptoms did slow down a little bit so really I kind of knew but I I pushed it to the back of my head I suppose and I just I think that no one really talks about it and until you've been through it you can't really understand it I suppose that's like most things in life it shocked me a lot and I did go into myself and you know I was I was struggling with communicating with anyone and I wasn't really prepared for the emotions. I actually thought when I was in there, I'll be all right. I I could deal with that. If that happens, I could deal with it. I just brushed it off. I don't know. And then when you're in it, the, the hormones and... I just hadn't thought about what actually happens when you have a miscarriage. Like even just with your body, not let alone the emotions, that you've got a baby inside you and that baby somehow needs to come out of you. Come out. I hadn't even taken that into consideration. It's brutalising that you give birth. Yeah, and then having to um, just deal with the emotional turmoil and you've still got the pregnancy hormones in you and just even just the adjustment to your body, like your body was growing to grow a baby and now all of a sudden there's no baby there and you're left with this body that isn't quite how it was. And just for me, it was also the constant reminder, like my body was changing and, you know, if you go to the toilet, you're bleeding. It's a constant reminder constantly that this has happened. And for a couple of weeks, I've really, really struggled. I mean, I think I had found out on the Friday and I had to wait over the weekend for the surgery, but it was Lorenz's birthday that weekend as well. So it was kind of pretending that nothing... The kids knew, but kind of being normal, like having to, because obviously I want him to have an amazing birthday. It was his 16th. Wow. But kind of just all over the place. And I actually went to the hospital on my own. I said, I'm just going to go on my own. Rhea can meet me there. But it was the same hospital where I had Karee. It was the same anaesthetist and the same obstetrician. Yeah, as I was actually going down to have it, you know, you're laying on the bed They're putting... I held my emotions together the whole time I was in there. I don't know how. And as I looked, I just felt like I was having my C-section again. I just broke down in tears. And then the next thing I knew I was awake. Um, but it's just a whirlwind of emotions. And I feel like I just really wanted to speak about it because I was struggling. I wanted to share it because I also find sometimes there's an expectation of me to like be present and social media and be here and I didn't want that and that took a bit of stress away from me by sharing it yeah. and also I wanted to be able to speak about it later down the line to hopefully help others I found that like especially with my podcast speaking always helps me and it helps others so it's kind of like a win-win yeah, yeah. but yeah it's it's a crazy time um, I, th- I think when you're in those moments when things like this happen you often think you're never gonna you're never gonna feel okay again and it, you're never gonna you know, be okay, but I am. And I feel feel quite good at the moment. Obviously, the thought of, I don't know if we're going to have another baby. I don't know. I'm not sure, to be honest with you. But the thought of that terrifies me, to be honest Mm. with you, going through that, you know. But I feel good. I just think it's important to, like, talk about these things and get it out.
0: Yeah. I mean, you are amazingly honest and have such courage in being so honest. And it sounds horrendous and also kind of surreal and crazy making. And at moments, you couldn't quite believe what was happening and you felt numb. And at other times, it was like too much. And of course, it influences your confidence in having another baby because before you were kind of innocent oh, you get pregnant and you have a baby. And now you can't not know that you can get pregnant and have a miscarriage. And the minute you saw that pregnancy test for this baby, you imagined yourself as a family with another baby. So you're grieving the future you had every right to expect as well as this particular baby. And so
1: it's a lot
0: to get your head around.
1: Yeah, I think like it was early. Well, they call it early miscarriage. It was 12 weeks. Um, But you still, like you say, for the whole 12 weeks are thinking about, right. The car, the bed. The bedroom, oh, God, we've got a bloody hell. We're going to have, like, five kids. What car are we going to drive? We've all, you know, it is early, but you're excited because it's the the thought of a new life and you start thinking about things. You you start even, like, planning your holidays around when can we book our holiday because when's the baby going to be here? And Without realising, most days you're kind of thinking about it constantly. You don't always speak out loud about it, but you are. It influences every decision every decision, like literally everything, even what you're eating, what you're drinking, what you're doing, you know, taking your tablets every day. So then I think people always sometimes say, oh, it's early. But for a woman, especially who's been feeling that and feeling the physical changes, the sickness, you know, and the the hormonal changes, it doesn't feel like that. But I don't think I'd ever really took that fully into consideration. I'm I'm going to be honest. I hadn't really realised the extent of, how it makes you feel and I do know quite a few people that have been through it but maybe I hadn't you know I don't think I'd been as I'd been there for them but I hadn't really fully understood what they were going through. The level of the loss and I
0: think often as you say people think it's the number of weeks which is the emotional um, loss so if it's only 12 weeks then you haven't lost much but actually it's the emotional investment and the hope and the dream and the expectation that you grieve for, it's not the number of weeks, yeah. And it feels to me that like you've, you've you're still grieving and you're, you've grieved and and you're doing really well considering what you've been through,
1: yeah. Thanks. I'm feeling quite good about the whole thing, like, um, I feel a bit more like me. Good,
0: got yourself back,
1: yeah. You lose yourself a bit, and but it's I'm talking. Again, like the more I talk, the more you can process it all. So, yeah, I'm grateful that I feel how I feel now because I didn't think I would. I even like, you know, I've got the podcast and I dreaded. I thought, oh god, I can't do the podcast because I, I'm, I'm there trying to get everyone to open up. But yeah, I'm trying to hide, and you know, but yeah, I've overcome all those small little feelings as well, or big things actually.
0: So you're doing the series two of of the podcast of blended, and it feels like it's both important professionally, but also psychologically, that you grow and learn with Blended and that it's been a really important part of your process.
1: Yeah, it's such a passion project for me. Um, It is literally like therapy um, and it helps other people. So it's amazing. Sometimes it can get a bit deep and it can feel a bit emotionally draining when the subjects are quite close to home or, you know, people have had really big losses. But I'm just so grateful that I get to meet with these people and I learn stuff from people all the time um, and just experience other people's journeys and help people in the process. So It's a
0: real win-win, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I'm grateful for the platform to be able to do it. And without reality TV or anything like that, I wouldn't be here.
0: It's like that reality TV, which is probably kind of one of the worst things in your life, is actually meant you, you've had so many good things in your life. And who, who knows that we have to say yes to things, don't we? And, and then what happens, we kind of can choose and go with.
1: Yeah, 100%. So do you have a question for me? Are
0: you OK? I'm good. I'm excited by doing this podcast. I mean, I think it'll take a while to build up. Um, because I haven't got such a public profile as you. But I do think these are important conversations.
1: I love what you do, your books and everything you do. And I think you are, I've said it to you before, like so inspiring, so wise. I love talking to you because I i feel like when I talk to you, you help me understand myself a little bit more because I feel like you analyse me and then help me understand myself. So I think what you're doing's going to be great and it's going to help so many people. That means a lot to me, Kate. Thank you. And, and also, let me add, you've helped our family. Since Julia's been on our podcast, she probably wishes I didn't have her number because every <laughs> now and then I just text her, help. What do I do? Can you help with this? Can you help with this? So, yeah, we've formed quite a friendship, I suppose. We have got a friendship and
0: <laughs> it's a very meaningful one. And I really appreciate you joining me today. And good luck with the second series of Blended.
1: And thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me and good luck with your podcast.
0: One of the very special things about this podcast is that at the end of every episode, I get the opportunity to reflect on the conversation with my two psychotherapist daughters, Sophie and Emily. Sophie is an adult psychotherapist and Emily is a child psychotherapist. And as we all specialise in different forms of therapy, it is really interesting to see what their takeaways are, what their insights are, and if they think there was anything that I could have said or done differently. You'll quickly learn not all therapists agree on everything. But let's hear what their thoughts are this week. Emily and Sophie, I'm really interested to talk to you about the recording with Kate Ferdinand, which I thought was an incredibly powerful and such an honest conversation. I thought one of the things that really stood out for me when I was hearing her talk was the kind of
2: journey that she'd been on and about how much love can settle us. Yeah, You've always said it to us, to be loved, to be known, that kind of love where you feel seen, how powerful that can be in someone's life. And also it made me think about all the things we try and do to get love, or the kind of proxies for love that we get confused on in life, whether that's through attention, positive attention, negative attention, through sex, through money and status and success, all these things that can sort of confuse us along the way, that feel like they might give us that kind of settling experience that she seems to have found.
0: And for Kate, it was a kind of perfectionism and how she looked. But of course, the more she was seen and looked at from the outside, the more... Discordant, she felt on the inside. That's yeah, that seen and known bit, right? Yeah, and that Rio loved her for who she was, and what. And from what you're saying, the other thing, and I want to be aware that we're not talking about her from specifically, but what we're taking from her. Mm. And what I got was how we can love multiple people all at the same time. Often there's this sense of scarcity, but when we have a mindset of abundance that we can love different children, we can love, have multiple loves of a partner that's died and the new partner who's alive, and that we can love them all. We have this incredible capacity to love different people alive and dead at the same time, which I think is often unrecognised.
3: Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And I also think that the more that we have love and are sort of sharing love, like she has with Rio, the more then we have to give. Um, it, you know it's a sort of virtuous circle yeah like the emptier your cup or whatever the 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 less you have to give there's such a you know for her wonderful virtuous circle um, and also for lots of people a a kind of a difficult cycle where I sort of think about clients that I've seen in the past who they're not Getting, they don't get filled up themselves, and yet they're still expected to give a lot to their children and their families. And it's like, how can you give when you are not getting anything? And what was so lovely about listening to her, you know, I found it quite emotional to listen to like how transformative love has been for her. Mm. And I was thinking, ooh, I I want
2: that. The way that she talked about it, I sort of was quite emotional. I think the thing I was thinking about in terms of the virtuous circle when I listened to it was the idea that that we talk quite a bit about the positivity and the transformation of learning to love ourselves or what it's like to be loved by someone else. But there's also what it can do for our sense of self-worth to be able to give love and for it to be received. And to be wanted. Mm. And it to be wanted and and that to, and it to be valued, not just giving love and it not being felt, but, but when you love someone else and it's felt and returned, that creates such a sense of worth and meaning as well as with your children in those moments where it where it goes well
3: yeah and I think the other part of it is that there is all this love in her family and yet it's also hard like even when you have all the things um life isn't perfect I think that's a lot what really was brought up in the in her interview for me is the complexity of life and everyone is kind of just doing their best in and amongst that. And in, you know, a bit like you talk a lot in your book, Mum, in the sort of most functional of families, it's not about not having difficulties or not having complexities, because obviously in her family, there's a lot of complexity. It's about how do we manage these and how do we communicate sort of within those? And that, I think, was really highlighted for me in her interview.
0: And also that given that we have complexities and difficulties the attitudes and the behaviours that we develop can make them worse or better. Yeah. And that we can actually improve our chances by knowing what our tools are. And she's developed a great set of tools with hers. Mm. It's walking and talking and exercise and, and many other things. But for each of us, I think the learning is to develop our own little toolkit that when we can feel ourselves going down our familiar sort of shitty committee horrible route mm. to kind of as soon as we can to be aware of it and to um pause take a breath and then think actually what's going on and what do I need and what would work for me better than in my case having kind of five crumpets or whatever it would be
3: I think that is 100 percent true. And at the same time, sometimes even having awareness doesn't stop you doing the thing that you know you shouldn't do. And I know with my children who are little, they're three and one. I still I still lose it sometimes. And I think that's part of it, too, of being human and knowing that even with all the awareness and the toolboxes in the world, sometimes you're still just going to, you know, mess up.
2: Because when I was listening to it, I was thinking about, well, what you were both saying, in the sense that really the only thing you can do at best is create opportunities for yourself Mm. where the good thing can happen and sometimes won't happen. That's lovely. So like the spaces or the opportunities to go for a walk, which sometimes, you know, I'll go for a walk and I'll be like, oh yes, that's just really hit the spot and I feel really soothed. And sometimes I go for a walk and I spent the whole of the walk stomping, just obsessing and <laughs> chewing over the thing. I was cross back and I come back absolutely no better than I did in the first place. Or you have the car drive or you have the conversation with your child or and some of them work and some of them don't, but it's sort of creating those those spaces and opportunities that facilitate the possibility yeah. of shift or rather than, I'll do this and then I'm better
0: I think I mean in a way we're all saying the same thing which isn't entirely surprising is that (laughs) we can't have these cookie cutter curated perfect lives and that we're gonna mess up but also it's how we kind of get ourselves back even when we're gonna mess up Mm. the other thing was very moving I thought was um talking about her miscarriage and brave because it's still very hard to talk about miscarriage
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really helpful when people talk also very concretely, as she was very courageous to do, about what happened, happened, what happens physically during a miscarriage, what can happen emotionally during a miscarriage. Because if it hasn't happened to you and people don't talk about it, when it does happen, it's like a black box. Yeah. Or is quite shocking. Um, For example, learning that you need to give birth, that sort of thing that can be really out of nowhere. And I thought that was really moving. Yeah. I mean, just
3: also devastating and I just the sort of thing with miscarriages where your body and your mind still think you know you're still processing the loss of having a baby and it's happening in your mind and emotionally that the loss of hope and the loss of this future
0: you expected
3: the future that you expected and then also your the physical side of it with your hormones and depending on where you are in the pregnancy um you know your body is still you know you could be producing milk even and just that sort of physical and emotional thing all happening at the same time is so incredibly intense and you know i um my son i was pregnant with twins originally and then lost one of the twins very very early on which i think is very common and yet it was still incredibly sad and it was sort of treated by the doctors as though it was nothing because it was just like a collection of cells. I was like nine or ten weeks. And it felt so invalidating because they said something along the lines of, oh, yeah, that embryo has stopped progressing. <laughs> and so I think, you know, having people speak out in the way that she did is so validating for people. And I really, really appreciated her sort of honesty and um, vulnerability around that.
0: Yeah. And I appreciate your honesty and vulnerability in telling us about your twin that, yeah. and we, that we talked about having two in the car and how exactly. you're gonna like oh it. I'm gonna
3: have to have a double buggy I'm never gonna be able to fly with them by myself and you know all these imagined things mm. yeah yeah
0: and we planted that blossom tree yeah which flowers every year yeah which
3: is nice right and, and I think you know part of it for me was this also I think quite common for people who lose babies in the early pregnancy was this feeling that should I be sad I feel sad and yet like I'm wondering if it's allowed to be sad because am
0: I is it legitimate yeah is
3: it legitimate am I allowed to be sad so um you know I think she she brought up so many things that people other people I think have experienced and don't
2: talk about mm, and that miss that gap between the messaging sometimes mm-hmm. of the medical profession and the some who are wonderful in the medical profession but Others that that gap can really miss where you're experiencing it and what you feel.
3: The other thing that just sort of was really highlighted for me was just this idea of family and who we think of as our family. Uh, yeah. And families are so much more than like our biological <laughs> progeny. And I think you know her, her podcast, which is really fantastic, and I would definitely recommend. I think just sort of speaks to that so beautifully. Of, how complicated families are and how much more they are than,
2: you know, your biological children. Yeah,
0: the families are made by love, not necessarily genetics.
2: Yeah, I really echo that. Having been married to someone who has a, a blended family with, you know, four half-siblings and an adopted brother, it was, for me, who's come from, in that sense, quite a simple family, mm. you know, there's the four of us and we're all biological siblings. It's kind of extraordinary t- for me to see how... How powerfully they're all bonded with their different mm. kinds of relationship and their different kinds of history with each other, um, and they form this then enormous sort of six sibling, eighteen grandchildren tribe, which they adore. And coming together as as Easter's and Christmas is 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 a really wonderful thing to be a part of.
0: So we need to leave it there for this week. But thank you both so much for your wisdom. You do both really inspire me. I also want to thank Kate Ferdinand for the courage in her openness and her honesty. And we can all learn from the way that she has expressed herself. And I'm enormously grateful for that. So thank you, Kate. And see you all next week.